You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell continues his series on leadership. In this second part, Linnell asks his radio audience, are leaders born or developed? Is leadership a title or a state of being? Let's join the conversation. Tonight, I'm asking, you know, are leaders born or developed? How does that work? How does a person become a leader? And... Is leadership a title or a state of being? You know, back in the day, you could be born into leadership, right? So, you know, you happen to be born into the right bloodline. You're just born into leadership. And so did that make the person a leader? Is, you know, something to think about. Or is it really a state of being? Maybe that's why we had good kings and bad kings. (laughs) You know, good chiefs and bad chiefs. You know, whatever you want to call it. Good presidents and bad presidents, just because people say you should be a leader or give you the title, does that mean you actually are that leader? So again, the question for this evening, are leaders born or developed? And is leadership a title or a state of being? And if you want to follow, you know, some of the topics, some of the perspective that I share, not just tonight, but uh, on other shows, you can always go to the blog which is www.inspirationalperspective.com and check out the blog post, the information that's out there, the insight, inspiration, and that is uh, right there for you to dial up on the World Wide Web. So a lot of good content. Check that out. All right. Okay. Are leaders born or developed? That's my question. And is leadership a title or a state of being? And, uh, you know, I always develop questions with certain things in mind. And so I'll I'll definitely get into that in the show. But before that, I have to do one thing. And that is I wrote a post this past week. And the title of the post was a terrible mistake most leaders make. And I thought, you know, before we get into the show, I really want to share, you know, a little bit of that post and my thoughts on the air about the post, because, you know, we're talking about leadership and in talking about leadership, it's an excellent opportunity to maybe help some of us out. And, you know, you guys know me, right? Most of the topics, most of the things I write about, they come from what I observe, right? What I have the opportunity to observe in my space or in someone else's space, something I hear about. And this one, I titled it A Terrible Mistake Leaders Often Make because I see it just that way. And as a leader myself, right, when I'm thinking about how to be effective, I find it alarming and somewhat disheartening how many leaders make this one common mistake. And I want to hit this one up because often this mistake is overlooked by elite leaders, right? And because they overlook it, It's repeated by the people they intend to lead. And I don't know if I talked about this last week, but according to research, right, I did I did some research a while ago and I continue to check this number to see if it moves. But according to research, 
only 11% of leaders in North America are effective. All right, so 11%. So let, let me put that in perspective, right? So if I were to invite 100 leaders right now to the station from different areas of Chicago, even different walks of life, different ethnicities, you know, based on this research, that would mean of the 100 leaders here at the studio or meeting with me at the station, only 11 of them would be considered effective. Now, there's some research behind what effective is, right? And it's, it's comprised of a certain number of competencies and their competencies like active listening and respect, you know, the ability to respect not just their peers, but the people that work for them. And so there are a number of different competencies, and I'm not getting into that tonight, but I find that figure staggering. And so it leads me to say, all right, then what makes a leader effective? And here is one common mistake I believe makes leaders ineffective, right? So if we, let's say, were to correct this mistake, maybe the percentage would jump. And I would attribute this mistake to that discouraging figure I just shared. But I don't think it's isolated to just North American leaders alone because, okay, only 11% of leaders in North America are effective, but I've had the privilege to lead and teach teams all over the world. And in doing that, I've witnessed the same mistake in those countries too. So this is not, you know, the mistake I'm talking about tonight is not just something that's, you know, here in Chicago. It's not something that's just here in the United States or in North America. This is a mistake I see worldwide. And in my opinion, I think the mistake is disrespectful. Now, I may not be disrespectful, you know, in the sense of radio, right? Me on the radio. And if you're at home and you're a leader, you're making this mistake. But it is disrespectful if you're in my space. And I'll get into that in a moment. And then I also see it as a form of ignorance. All right. And not ignorance in a assaulting or confrontational sense of the word, but just in the, the actual definition itself. Right. Lack of knowledge. And so I find it to be, you know, typically due to the lack of knowledge of knowing how to fix this mistake. I find this mistake to cause inefficiencies. And in my opinion, this mistake has wasted my time. I know it has. And the time of many well-intentioned leaders. And, you know, I'm covering it because this mistake in particular happens to get under my skin. And I didn't realize how much it got under my skin until just recently. Yeah, I knew it got under my skin, but not quite as much as what I experienced recently. And uh, it's one of my pet peeves. Now, so why am I sitting on this and spending time on it? Well, because in my opinion, this mistake undermines the very purpose that many leaders have to help. And because it undermines the purpose That makes those leaders, whether they are effective or not, ineffective in execution to the leaders they may be talking to. And this mistake is, in my opinion, opinion, the main reason a lot of us have to learn things the hard way. You know, we end up having to learn things the hard way, even if we're forewarned about a particular uh, circumstance. And so you could hear the warning, you would hear the warning, but the warning might It might even make sense to you. But if you make this mistake on a regular basis, you probably will eventually forget that you were warned and you will forget because you didn't write it down. And so the mistake that I'm talking about is the failure of most leaders to take notes. The simple task 
of taking notes. Now, I've been on the air for a year and a half, and some of you guys listen to me all the time. And, you know, like I said, I'm not on to be your friend and, and say things that make you feel good. I'm on to develop and to create, in some ways, confrontation that facilitates change. And so if you haven't been taking notes, then, you know, now the cool thing is some of the segments I actually put online so you can go back and check them out again. But I know for a fact, based on feedback I get, that this show helps, right? And that there are elements, there are nuggets and takeaways that I'm sharing so that we all can live the best life possible. And so if you're not taking notes, then basically you could be wasting your time because how do you retain that information? You know, and so before I get ahead of myself, the human brain is wonderful. And, you know, I I think I spent half a segment once talking about the brain and how wonderful the brain is. However, it doesn't retain everything we see and hear. And it, it definitely doesn't retain it for proper deployment in the future. You know, the brain has to be reminded or given a prompt. Yet so many leaders fail to take notes and they continue to make this simple mistake. So tonight, as I start the leadership segment, right, well, we started last week, but I'm spending the rest of the month. And so I want to make sure that I'm asking leaders or I'm instructing leaders to not make one of the most terrible mistakes that leaders make. And that is failing to take notes. Because ultimately, you could be leaving a lot on the table. And the crazy thing is in the 21st century, it's easy to do. It really is. I mean, whether you're taking notes on your wireless device, on your computer with a note, pen and pad, it's really easy to do. Take notes. Now, this past week, now, where is all this coming from? Like I tell you guys, I see things in my space and and then, it, you know, it, it causes me to want to do something about it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I attended a number of events right here in the city where some very reputable, very reputable leaders, successful leaders were providing wisdom, right? And they were providing this wisdom to a group of leaders like myself, you know, within my age range, most of us Gen X, Gen Y. And, you know, basically, in some ways, passing the mantle, you know, providing wisdom, providing leadership to young executives, young entrepreneurs here in the city. And at one of these events, I literally found myself writing at, you know, just taking copious notes, writing feverishly, Because, you know, I'm all about capturing knowledge. All right. Partly because I feel like I have a responsibility, one, to absorb and then shift my space, but then also to share and help shift anybody's space that I come in contact with. Right. That's part of my purpose as an individual. And um, so at one of these events, I'm taking notes and I was having a hard time keeping up. Right. I mean, the nuggets were just flying. I mean, it's loaded with decades of acquired intelligence, right, from individuals who have accomplished some great things, individuals that have established some uh, powerful networks. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, I need to catch this. Like, I don't want to rely on my brain to catch everything. And so at one point, I'm having a hard time keeping up. And, you know, this intelligence is being tossed from the stage at such a rapid pace that I had this idea, right? So I say to myself, you know what? At the end of the meeting, I'm going to exchange notes with someone in the room. I'm going to, you know, find someone else 
in hopes that they caught some of what I missed. And so yeah, I paused for a moment for my note taking to identify who this person would be. Right. So I look to my left and I'm looking around to see if somebody else is taking notes. I don't see anybody taking notes. Right. So then I look to my right, look down a row. I don't see anybody taking notes in front of me, to the right of me, to the left of me. So now I have to turn all the way around. Right. I'm just, you know, and I'm sitting like on the second or third row. But I'm like, OK, I must turn all the way around to see who else in here is taking notes. And we got about 50 to 75 other leaders. All right. In the room, listening to these, you know, behemoths, you know, talk about business, talk about life, talk about networking, talk about entrepreneurialism, talk about corporate leadership. And I turn around and no one behind me is taking notes. And, (laughs) you know, my colleagues in the audience, they all seem to sit there silently. Now, they were listening intently. Don't get me wrong. They were listening. But not one of them was putting pen to paper or even typing on a mobile device to capture this wisdom. They all just sat there listening, basically doomed to forget 85 percent of what they just heard. Because that's the stat, right? You you typically you retain about 10 to 15 percent of what you hear from an audio perspective. Right. Visually, you retain maybe up to about 20 to 25 percent. And that's a whole nother show about what you retain visually, because a lot of us waste our time. I'm going to go there watching TV or thinking that we got to catch that show. But two weeks from now, if I quizzed you to ask you about the details of the show, you would have no clue. But it was important beforehand. Right. And that's just, you know, that's a whole nother show. And it's all about how we get caught up in the instant gratification of the moment. And it gets in the way of us living the best life and going after our dreams and aspirations. All right. But let me go back. Okay, I digress. So they're sitting there listening, basically doomed to forget 85 percent of what they just heard. And in my mind, doomed to relearn the lessons they were being taught through the tough class of experience. Right. So if I have somebody twice my age And they're sharing their experience from a corporate perspective, from an entrepreneurial perspective, from a personal perspective. How I often see it is, you know, I wrote a poem years ago that wisdom is like a chain of gold, right, that you get to put around your neck. And for every gold nugget of wisdom I get, it's a new link on that chain. Right. And I believe that's one of the ways that, uh, Regardless of age, regardless of where we come from or our actual experiences, we can garner more wisdom, uh, more breadth of knowledge, right, from learning from somebody else. Hey, if you made a horrible mistake, why do I want to go make that same mistake? Hey, let me learn everything about that and then uh, figure out how to navigate my life journey in a different direction uh, or in a different way in learning and retaining that particular mistake you share, right? In gathering that wisdom that you were willing to share with me. So, frankly, I was shocked, right? 50 to 75 leaders in a room, I'm the only one taking notes. And it got to the point where I wanted to stand to my feet, right? Because I'm telling you, it was so rich. But I wanted to stand to my feet and scream at the top of my lungs, take notes, take notes. I didn't. But what I did resolve is I wrote about it in my blog and I'm telling you guys now, when you hear wisdom, take notes. That simple. 
the lesson may not be applicable today, right? Sometimes we get things and it's not applicable today. However, it may be applicable tomorrow. And I can't tell you how often I have gone through my phone, right? I got a note to my phone. I actually carry two smartphones. And in both phones, I have uh, areas where, I mean, specifically for certain kinds of notes, right? Blog ideas, you know, something my leader said, you know, good ideas, new ideas, books to read, right? Hey, Linnell, have you read such and such book? No, I haven't. I'll write it down, right? So that way, when I'm at the bookstore or I'm looking on, you know, Amazon, I'm like, okay, here are the books I was told. Let me check these books out and see if these, these are materials that I want to I wanna take on, right? But I'm not going to remember. There's too much information flowing around. And so I take the note. All right, so tomorrow, those notes might provide you the inspiration you need when you need it most, right? Because this is the deal. Zig Ziglar said it a long time ago. Motivation doesn't last, right? It's like bathing. That's why you have to do it every day. <laughs> I mean, he said that. And so often the wisdom that we get, we don't retain it forever. And so the ability to go back and get that fresh piece, it's almost like taking a fresh bite out of an apple that you, you know, that you put in the fridge without it turning brown. That's the cool thing about taking notes. Inspired all over again. So if you're guilty of making this mistake, commit to changing. If you're not guilty, then, hey, share this with somebody else. Huh? Make it a part of what you bring to a space when you're working with other leaders, when you're working with other people and you're looking to develop them. But take notes and stay inspired. All right. OK, so got that off my chest. And again, you know, the topic tonight is are leaders born or developed and is leadership a title or state of being? All right. Real quick. I have a clip here from Game of Thrones about wisdom and being a good leader. Zach, you got that? Yeah, because I just wanted to introduce it real quick because you were talking about people are born into certain situations, but does that automatically make them leaders? Right. And there's good kings, good chiefs, and yeah. bad kings and chiefs. So I thought this clip from an episode a couple of weeks ago was applicable to that. Going to play it, man. What makes a good king? Hmm? What is a good king's single most important quality? Holiness. Baylor the Blessed was holy and pious. He also named a six-year-old boy High Septon because he thought the boy could work miracles. He ended up fasting himself into an early grave because food was of this world and this world was sinful. Justice. Yeah. Good king must be just. Horace the first was just. Everyone applauded his reforms, nobles and commoners alike, but he wasn't just for long. He was murdered in his sleep after less than a year. Was that truly just of him, to abandon his subjects to an evil that he was too gullible to recognize? No. What about strength? Yes, strength. King Robert was strong. He won the rebellion. And he attended three small council meetings in 17 years. He spent his time pouring and hunting and drinking until the last two killed him. So, we have a man who starves himself to death, a man who lets his own brother murder him, and a man who thinks that winning and ruling are the same thing. What do they all lack? 
Wisdom. Yes. Wisdom is what makes a good king. Wisdom. I saw that, Zach. Now, Game of Thrones is one. I only really watch one show, and that's it, man. <laughs> because of those type of things right there. So I did see that that episode. When he said that, I kind of thought to myself, hmm. <laughs> Hey, and not to throw away any of the other things he said around justice and holiness and but wisdom gives you almost the playbook on how to use those things. Sure. Yeah. You know? So thanks for sharing that, Zach. Zach's always looking out, man. Appreciate it, bro. All right. So last week I shared a quote and I, you know, sometimes we start running out of time on the show. And so I kind of sped through it and I really want to spend some time on it. And it's the quote I share from the Leadership Challenge by James Cousins and Barry Posner that provides guidance to leaders for why this, you know, a certain type of perspective is necessary. And the quote I share was, there's nothing more demoralizing than a leader who can't clearly articulate why we're doing what we're doing. All right. So in that vein, I haven't gotten any calls about the answer to is leadership, is a leader born or is a leader developed? But this is my takeaway, right? In the leadership challenge, you know, the book is all about leadership development. And I'll tell you guys, I remember back in 2005, that's when I first joined US Cellular, right? So I came in, I was a new leader. I was a lot younger than I am now. And I thought I was pretty good because the place I left, you know, the, the people were a little upset that I was leaving. And for me, if people are upset that you're leaving, that must mean you're not so bad, right? Okay, they like me. So I come to this new organization, new culture, and I started leading. And one of the things that the company did is they had this big the leadership forum, and they evaluated all their leaders, right? So you get a score based on an assessment that your team, the people that you lead, actually take, and they score you, all right? And so I wasn't worried about that because I'm a good leader. And this is back, like I said, in, in 2005, so I had a whole lot to learn. And um, I'm a good leader. And so I go to this leadership forum, and I, uh, the first year, I hadn't been there an entire year, so I didn't have, you know, they couldn't make an assessment of me. But the, what I resolved in my mind that first year is I was going to be one of the top leaders in the company, okay? I'm going to be one of the top leaders in the company. So fast forward one year, I'm back at the leadership forum, okay? And they're calling, so the top leaders in the company, like the, the top 2%, they get called up on the stage to get awards, and they're calling people up for these awards. And I'm certain, I'm like, I'm going to get this award, right? I know my team likes me and I'm a pretty good leader. And so they go through the regions, right? This is everybody from all over the country. They go through the regions and they get through Chicago. And I'm like, hmm, okay, they didn't call me. So they maybe they're doing it by alphabetical order. <laughs> all right, so, so they, you know, they, they go through the, the names and I realize, okay, they didn't call me. They're done. I'm still sitting in my seat. And so at the end of the forum, I go outside to get my actual packet that had my score inside the packet, right? My leadership assessment. And when I opened it up, I opened it up and my score, it was on a four point scale, right? My score is like 3.6 something. So it was like, okay. All right. And the leaders who were on stage were like 3.98, 3.99, you know, 4.0. So you kind of get, you know, there was a, a large disparity between you know, how I was ranked and they were ranked, right? I probably landed less than the 50th percentile, 50th percentile, right? So anyway, I was upset. Now, here's the deal. 
Who do you think I was upset with, myself or with my team? (laughs) Yeah, the first thing I did was I deflected. I was like, surely there is nothing wrong with me, right? These people have no clue how good of a leader I am, right? And that's what we normally do when it comes to leadership, right? Oh, they don't get it. They don't understand the challenges. I'm way better than they think I am. They don't appreciate me. If somebody else came in, they would appreciate me then. And we're not willing to listen to the feedback that we're getting, all right? Because leadership isn't about knowing everything. It's really about, and one of the, I talked about 11% being effective. One of the key components or key competencies of effective leadership is active listening, the ability to listen. So I look at my assessment. And when I'm looking at my assessment, I'm going down the scores and, you know, it was all based on values of the organization. And at the time, the organization had six values. So the values were things like empowerment. You know, do I empower my team? Diversity. You know, does my team think I value diversity? Ethics. You know, am I ethical leader? You know, customer focus. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, the company is built on is customers. So what does my team think about my ability to focus on customers? So you guys get where I'm going, right? And one of those components was respect. And when I looked through the assessment, you know, the other scores were okay, but my lowest score was on respect. And I was blown away. Because again, remember, I'm an African American, and at this time, I'm a senior manager leading, you know, in a, a mostly white organization. And I'm thinking, like, what? Respect? I'm a brother. Like, I mean, come on. Like, if anybody's going to exude respect, I'm going to exude respect. And I, I just didn't get it. I'm like, they are so off. Like, they have no clue. And again, I was looking outward, right? Not looking inside to say, hey, you know, maybe they got a point here on my leadership capabilities. So fast forward a little bit. One of the things that the company did is, you know, they allow for dialogue. So you bring your entire team together and you have dialogue about the scores, right? So for those of you who haven't had an assessment, it's something like a 360, right, where you're you're getting feedback. But, you know, of course, it's anonymous and, you know, it's a third party activity because, you know, we can go there. But a lot of us ask for feedback. Hey, how am I doing? But we really don't want to hear it. As a leader, you really don't want to hear it. And again, remember, I'm addressing the question of are leaders born or are they developed? Okay, so I'm sitting with my team and I say, okay, I'm going through the different scores. And when I got to respect, I said, okay, come on. I mean, you guys saying I'm not respectful for real. And this is what I heard. What they said is, well, it's not in, you know, who you are, right? But it's how you show up. And often when we're talking to you, you're looking at your phone, you're multitasking in your office. If we need something, it's like, yeah, just talk to me while you're typing on email. And that showed up as disrespectful to them. And I learned something really important. And the point I'm making is leaders have to be developed because what I learned through development and lots of help and lots of courses and lots of books. But in that moment, through feedback was often we think of respect as the golden rule. Right. Do unto others as you have them do unto me. Right. So if I if I walk into the studio and Zach is, you know, typing on his phone and we're talking, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Uh, You know, I'm good because, you know, that don't really bother me. So then in execution. Right. I feel like I can do that to somebody else because they can do it to me. But that's not respect. That's not respect if that's disrespectful to them. And so respect really is 
the ability to understand what it looks like for everybody you have the opportunity to encounter and lead. And you, you just don't get born with the ability to do that. That takes work. It takes development. And sometimes it takes tears and sweat and all kinds of other stuff. That's what leadership is about. That's what leadership is about. And, you know, I had to learn that the hard way. It wasn't until 2011 at that company that I actually won the Dynamic Leadership Award. Six years later of working really hard at trying to take my score from the initial score of 3.6 something all the way up to a 3.98, 3.99 to be recognized. So I shared that because, you know, hopefully some of you can see yourself there, right? And it's a continual journey. Hey, I don't have it figured out. I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, they say leadership is a journey because it truly is. All right. I got a couple of callers. I got James. How you doing, brother? Oh, good evening, sir. You said you didn't have no call, so I decided to call you. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. I didn't want you to be lonely. Oh, well, you know, I just keep talking. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> now, uh, you know, we all know some leaders are born, some are bred, and some are forced into the cooker. Now, I heard that the final test of a leader is that he leave behind him and others the conviction and the will to carry on. But I don't think that's true all the time. You know, I think Dr. King was a good leader. He believed and gave his life for what he believed in. But mm-hmm. just look at the people who was around Dr. King in his quietest moments, Jesse Jackson, Abernathy, Andrew Young, and it was another guy. I mean, they was with King when he might wake up three in the morning sitting talking. Mm-hmm. But yet when King was assassinated, all them guys took another route. So, you know, leaders are born and they die. So what can a leader leave behind? He leave behind institutions. And that's where we're having a problem there. We have these great leaders, but there's no institution left behind, for instance. Mm-hmm. The movement was going strong. Elijah Muhammad died. Bam. You they know, that's, that's a good point because, so again, so we're talking about if a leader is born, are they developed? And what I believe is when effective leadership is not only the ability to lead in the moment, but it's also the ability to think outside the moment and set up succession. And that's something that, you know, I don't think that any of us can look at Dr. King and say, well, he did a poor job of setting a successor because he was taken. He was taken before his time. Right. He was taken before he had the opportunity to adequately develop a successor at a young age. And that's part of the really unfortunate circumstance with his assassination. Yeah, but don't you think that Dr. King thought one of those people that was around him would have stepped into those shoes? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. But again, if leaders are developed, again, and I shared the story from 2005 for me, because let's say all of a sudden I was thrust into a different type of leadership. I would have not have been prepared at that time and in my journey, at that time in my journey, I wouldn't have been prepared to take on the level of leadership that I've taken on today. And so it's, it's really paying attention to the cues and being willing to take the development. And in King's case in particular, 
you know, maybe one of those leaders needed another, you know, five years with him, ten years to really be able to tutor underneath uh, him. I don't think that was the case, brother. I think, they, I think that bullet kind of made him look in a different direction. Hey, you, know, know. Hey, you know what? Hey, we talked about it last week. You listened to that show. You called in. Yes, sir. Leaders will die for a cause. And I think that often, you know, self-preservation, and you, it's a survival mechanism, causes people to do things that they normally wouldn't do if they don't keep the main thing the main thing and they continue to look at their leadership journey from possibility, man. Well, let me touch on a couple more instances where leadership was taken down and, and the whole movement came to a complete halt. Malcolm X, you know, he had a movement trying to connect back with Africa, going over there and stuff. Yeah, but James, and, again, he was assassinated. Yeah, I know, but I'm just showing you how, yeah. you know, there's nobody to step in those shoes and keep that going. But you but you see where I'm looking at when, when you give me an example of someone who's assassinated, we look at them as powerful leaders, but I can't. I can't go in and make an assessment of that because we we never got a chance to see that leadership evolve. And part of leadership evolution is succession. But what about our business leaders, brother, who wasn't assassinated? Like right now, they are running uh, commercials and stuff about this Motown thing and stuff in mm -hmm. their history. But as a people, Motown was great. I mean, music yeah. and all and mm -hmm. the art. But as a people... What do we have a show from Durham Motown outside of some tape? What right. do you have? And again, again, that's that's one of the reasons why I'm sharing this segment is I want to create a thirst in our community for leadership development. Because, you know, just because you have a title, just because you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean that your task is to, is to develop the community. It's not. And sometimes you don't know unless you're told or, or you know, right? You don't know what you don't know. And so... This segment, really talking about leadership, is really to begin to kind of tickle the surface of, well, OK, what is it that we need to find out? What is it that we need to know? And hopefully get leaders like yourself and others to uh, say, all right, how, how do we get this development thing going? Hey, James, I got a couple other calls. Okay, man. Let me brother. Get to those. Thanks for all the call. Right, brother, thank you. All yep. right. All right. All right. I got to sell out of Lansing, man. How you doing? Great. Great. I was thinking about the prayer. Uh, Deserata where the request is made to God uh, asking for the ability to change the things that mm -hmm. you can and yeah. to uh, deal with the things that you can't, but the ability to discern between the two. Right. And I, I certainly think that's a, um, a short leadership. As, as you were talking, man, I was thinking about the roles that I have. Um, I've been in a position of, of leadership or quasi-leadership only uh, going all the way back to grade school. Mm -hmm. Thinking about my role as a, um, as a benign bully. When I reached the fourth grade, I could book half of the sixth graders. And it was understood by everybody not to bother anybody from my classroom. And um, I enforced that. Mm-hmm. Um, my athletic career was something that um, afforded me the, the opportunity to excel personally, but as to whether or not I took on a leadership role, I don't know if I really did. I'm sure that I inspired and encouraged and motivated 
but in terms of um, of being that leader who studied the game, I didn't. Mm-hmm. But I had hustle, just unquestion, unquestionable hustle and devotion to my responsibility to um, cover my position, right, and assist in the team winning. I was thinking about expedient patience, having the ability to know that something needs to have been done yesterday, mm. but also the the compassion to explain in one syllable language, if necessary, to encourage everybody to recognize we need to get in a hurry. We need to step it up. So in consideration of that, you know, what would you say in closing we need to be more urgent about? We need to find that passion. Okay. Find that purpose and uh, cultivate it into a passion. I'm with you on that, man. What I would say, thanks for the call, Sal. What I would say is the first priority that we have as individuals is to identify our passion and to identify our purpose. So, man, great call. Thanks for that. All right, Maria. Maria, we got a few minutes here. How you doing? Hi, how you doing? I'm well. First thing you know, I told you last week I'm a team player. Yes, ma'am. I don't want to have to lead nobody but myself, okay? I've been Mm -hmm. in situations where I was forced to lead, and I found out at times it's easy to lead people that are reasonable, want to cooperate, but when you get those rebellious ones in there, then sometimes it's like I found out I'm a better dictator than I am a leader. Right. Okay, and you know who my shero is. She is um, Harriet Tubman because yep. she led and she lived to tell about it, okay? Yes, and like she did. we said last week, she said she would have freed more slaves if they had known they were slaves. Mm-hmm. But one thing that lady did not tolerate, she did not tolerate anybody messing it up for those who want to be free. So lead yourself to righteousness, freedom, and glory. Get up in the morning while we're waiting for the government to give us reparations and what they're going to do. I'm all for it, but then get up in the morning and give yourself, I believe, in self-reparations. Mm-hmm. And then after I give myself some reparations, if I can help my community with a little bit of what I have, reparations, and, and do a project that's going to benefit others. But you know my mantra. What can I do for myself today? What can I do for my family? And then what can I do for my community? There you go. That's how I, I think. All so right. Thank you for letting me share. Oh, you're welcome. You're All welcome, right, Maria. Thanks for the call. All right. Mm, okay. That was uh, power-packed. What can I do for myself? And then she, she's not waiting on anything, not waiting on reparations. Man, control the controllables, right? What's in front of me? That's what leaders do. Create from possibility. In the moment, make a choice. That's what leaders do. This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.